super happy today anybody who knows me knows my favorite star trek show is based the anime in series. Closet. <laughs> you know <laughs> that might make second favorite i oh, okay I love the animated series i thought you uh, loved erex the three-armed guy yes I, I don't undersell the animated series <laughs> so we're here to announce an animated series uh, star trek adventures campaign book now <laughs> uh, yeah right <laughs> It'll be the top seller ever. I mean, I don't know how I want it wouldn't be the top seller ever, but uh, I don't know. I think there's some closet TAS fans out there. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a closet fan at all. I'm out there. <laughs> I love TAS. I, it cracks me up. And I, I I dream of one day animating my RPG groups cartoon uh, episodes like that, because I think it would be uh, easy once you do a couple, you know, models, you, then you're OK. Anyways. Hi, everyone. I'm Michael DeSmuke. I'm a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures RPG and also uh, one of the bloggers on Continuing Missions, which is the number one fan site for Star Trek Adventures RPG. And we're here with the amazing Jim Johnson. Introduce yourself, please. Hello, I'm Jim Johnson. I am the project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures role-playing game published by Mendifius Entertainment. I'm the co-host of this podcast, and uh, I have not yet blogged on Continuing Mission because I just don't have time. I've got so many Star Trek Adventures projects on my plate right now, and uh, sneak preview. I just uh, I just submitted a whole bunch more for consideration to the powers that be at Modiphius, and all of them got approved. So next year is going to be super super busy. There's going to be so much stuff coming out next year. Please, like I told you guys, uh, you know, I'm talking to the fans, and I shouldn't use guys anymore. I should use a an uh, more appropriate. I, I told you, friends, you I all, you all. Gamers, I told you all. Last year, two years ago, save your Latinum. Like, seriously, please take myself. I mean, I know we're heading for a recession here in the United States, probably. But uh, in, in as much as you possibly can, you know, skip a coffee one day, save your Latinum, <laughs> save your Latinum, because there's so much, there's going to be so much cool Star Trek stuff coming out, Star Trek Adventure stuff coming out next year. I just can't wait to start getting into it. And uh, yeah, anyway, so uh, yeah, and, that's, and that's for my those life. And for those who don't know, I mean, it's the ultimate compendiums. The more I go through these, we've been going through the books um, one by one, kind of talking about why they were made, the background, showing Easter eggs in them. And I am becoming more and more convinced that these are the ultimate books about Star Trek. They're not the technical manual. The technical manual stands on its own. I agree yeah. with that. That's a, that's an epic that was used. Um, and referred to for many years. But when it comes to understanding the Star Trek universe, I'm convinced that Modiphius has 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 cornered the market on that, which makes wow. me excited because today we get to talk about my favorite corner of the Milky Way galaxy, and that's the Delta Quadrant. Yes. Which is which is, makes me happy. Um, Jim, do you know this is our 35th episode, by the way? 35th? 35th gosh, it, it feels like it's been longer, but uh, 35, that's good. That's more than... Uh, that's more than what? Gosh, we've been at this almost three quarters of a year now, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You've been on other blogs that we had before, you know, sure. Star Trek, STA Engage, and other stuff. But this is this is since we committed to this, we've done thirty five straight, and it took us that long to get here. It's been seventy thousand light yeah. years to get us to the Delta Quadrant book. Yeah, so and we're still not out of content yet. Exactly. So now yeah. talk to me, Delta Quadrant. For those who don't know what the heck that is, 
What's the Delta Quadrant? So if you uh, you if you have not had the opportunity to watch any of Star Trek Voyager, get to it. Go watch it <laughs> because it's 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 more Star Trek. I don't want to say it's more great Star Trek, but there are some great moments. Um, I think um, me personally, I liked Voyager, um, but and I don't like to say but that often, but but I think it was a, a concept that did not work for syndicated television. I think in, in in the modern era of television, Voyager would be amazing, and they would be able to do things with Voyager that they couldn't do back back in the day. Because on, the thing that bugged me the most about Voyager, and I'll go on my soapbox, is that the ship looked pristine week after week after week. They had no star bases, they had no resources other than what they could pull together themselves. That ship should have been looking worn and torn, and more like Battlestar Galactica week after week, getting a little more worn down. People getting out of their uniforms, looking a little ragtag, you know, changing up the appearances and stuff. I think I think it just the the, the nature of syndicated television that that Voyager had to deal with just because that's the way the business was at the time, did did their concept no service, right? See, because you missed the point, though. You missed the point that the reason they didn't look ragtag and the reason the ship was so pristine is because they had the baddest captain ever, Captain Janeway. Yeah, okay. That's how good she is. Okay. She kept them <laughs> shape, and she was not going to... And then when things started to get a little ragtag, they brought on, of course, Seven of Nine, the queen of efficiency, and yeah. she... And, and would you really, as an engineer, ever talk back to Lieutenant Torres? No, no you're going to no. do what she says. So she yeah. had them working like Klingon scrubbing that hole. Sure. Whatever. So, so I'm going to. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. You know what? And now that I think about it, I've been on a, a, a behind the scenes on the, on the rare occasions I actually get time to read. I've been on a huge uh, age of sale Horatio Hornblower, uh, um, uh, Alexander Kent, you know, run here reading a lot of nautical fiction. And uh, those captains were literally out in the middle of nowhere on their own, maintaining their ship, Bristol fashion. And uh, I, I will admit that I never really got that from Janeway. I, I never got that kind of hornblower kind of like we are we are strictly Starfleet and we're going to be, you know, ship shape. And uh, she had two bucks for that. She had two bucks for that. She had she two bucks. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, compassionate motherly, like we got to yeah. all get through this. And then two was behind there slapping people. I was <laughs> <laughs> knocking people out in the decks. Anyways, so long story short, Delta Quadrant book, all about the Delta Quadrant. Voyager spent all, almost all their time in the Delta Quadrant. So all the crazy, interesting species, things and stuff that they encountered in the Delta Quadrant, we put as much of it into this book as we could. Yeah, and as excited as Jim was for the Gamma Quadrant last week, because he's all about Deep Space Nine, you're going to see my enthusiasm for the Delta Quadrant book this week. And let's open up with the inset pages. I mean, right here alone, Jim. I Once I got this book, I sat down with the inset pages, which maps the homebound path of USS Voyager over the seven years that we had the privilege of having them on TV. And I, I was now able to visually watch each episode and see as they progressed. Whose idea was this? This was when I first got the book and opened it up. It, I, I was so excited. Uh, so uh, Richard Gale was the layout designer for this book. And he and I, as we were getting ready to start laying out this thing, we were throwing concepts back and forth. And he said, you know, one of the things I really liked about the star charts that Jeffrey Mandel put together ages ago in that book called Star Charts was there's a, there's a series of maps in that book that chart Voyager's progress through the Delta Quadrant over the course of the series. And I thought, and, or not, he and I, I think it was mostly him, 
but we we both talked about it and we agreed wouldn't it be nice if we could come up with some way to like take those maps and adapt them and put them in the book somehow some way and i was like if if given our compressed time schedule to get this stupid book done <laughs> if there's a way that you think you can pull that together because it would all have to be hand drawn and it would all have to be hand done we didn't have these assets just sitting on you know paramount's uh, library or anything uh, i said you know richard if you think you can get it done in the time that we need it done by all means knock yourself out because he's a big star trek fan and uh and i think he delivered in spades like he took the jeffrey mandel maps that were in star charts and then adapted them for our purposes into the end papers and uh, i think they're great i think they this look great. excellent you know again yeah. what how star charts are great but what you miss with star charts is the canon story and so yeah. now this is the only book i can think of out there on the market that has the charts with all of the background that we're going to review today um yeah. so i still think i'm claiming again this is the ultimate voyager book out of everything that's ever been put out there which is pretty impressive for a game right yeah love yeah. that yeah and then uh, last last note that you may have noticed you may not have noticed um but uh uh, Richard and uh, Mihao, who are two of the two of the full-time uh, designers over at Medifius, who who both worked on a lot of the early Star Trek books, uh, for this book they did have a, a powwow. And um, actually, I shouldn't say that, should I? Uh, that's inappropriate, and I apologize. Uh, they had a conversation um, during the development of this book, and uh, they decided to uh, refresh the color palette just a little bit uh, and bring it more in line with Voyager, moving away from next gen through the movies and then into Voyager. There are subtle changes to the Elcar's color palette that uh, Voyager enjoys on their screens as opposed to next gen. Uh, so it's more uh, more more tans and different shades of blue and getting away from some of the oranges and the yellows that were in next gen. So as you're flipping through this book, if you flip through this book compared to like uh, the Beta Quadrant book, you'll see some shuttle, some subtle differences in the um, in the in the color palette, which I think I think for this book would great. And yeah. if I remember right, I think we I think we I think we use this color palette. In Shackleton, I'd have to go back and look because the Shackleton book expand, you know, moved it moved through the timeline a little bit. But I'd have to go back and look. Yeah. Um, anyway, so for those who are paying attention to the graphic design and the color palettes, this is a this is a fresh look. We do. I actually, I avoid, the Intrepid class is my favorite class of ship. Also, um, it's it's cozier than the Galaxy. If I was in space, I would actually rather be on an Intrepid class than a Galaxy. Yeah. Um, for for several reasons. Um, going again, just one more piece of art before we bust into the introduction, and that's the Borg tactical cube um, analysis. If you're a GM and you want to, you know, have your group encounter a Borg uh, ship, throwing this up on screen is definitely going to scare them, you know, as, as they see this pop up on their main screen. So some mm -hmm. beautiful artwork, again, that just immerses you in in. Uh, the Delta Quadrant and USS Voyager, who, of course, had probably the most contact with the Borg than compared to any other uh, TV show we ever saw. Yeah, maybe. Second, yeah, right. Cool. Um, I, and again, stellar art. I'm cracking up. Um, you commissioned art on page five um, where the Borg are actually assimilating one of the species that was a season one species. I forget mm -hmm. their name now. But again, just immersing us in there. I want to ask you as we get into this, actually, Jim, too. Say someone's not playing a playing the crew of U.S. Voyager. What benefit is there going to be to having the Delta Quadrant book? Because that's seventy thousand light years away. What what was the idea behind this? Unless everyone plays the Voyager. Uh, well, it's a it's an opportunity to uh, to show off a lot of stuff that you wouldn't normally see in the Alpha or Beta Quadrant, uh, given the the transwarp corridors and just you know Star Trek technology in general. There's 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 possibilities that all this stuff could appear in your game. 
or in a timeline or something, right? I mean, the the Voyager really went in a lot of interesting different directions in terms of like technology and science and weird phenomena and just different stuff to throw at you. And really expanded the Star Trek universe, I think, in a way that you haven't seen before in like the original series or Next Gen or DS9. And um, I think, you know, almost as more of a toolkit, a, a, a GM could take the Delta Quadrant book and like just pull the cool stuff that they want to use out of it, reskin it and drop it right into your campaign. And like your players probably wouldn't know any better. Uh, of course, this is also very Borg heavy. So if you're a big fan of the Borg, like this is this is the book to get because there's so many ships and, and NPCs and stuff that you can throw at your player characters. And, uh, you know, I think the, the Borg in this book are, are rightly portrayed as terrifying because they are really super terrifying, especially in the next gen. I think, in my opinion, I think next gen really made the Borg like that whole body horror, super scary. Like there's nothing stopping these people. And I mean, what are, are these things? And I mean, what do they do in next gen? They assimilated Picard. Right. Like like you wouldn't expect that. And like, oh, my gosh, these guys are like super dangerous. So, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of content here that you probably just dropped into your game. I think also it's important for those who are fans of the novels to realize that in the novels, the Ave USS Aventine under uh, Esri Dax gets quantum slipstream drive and they yeah. head back into the Delta Quadrant. So this is great second contact mission kind of stuff like lower decks level. If you get a lower deck ship with quantum slipstream drive going back to make uh, a second contact with all of these uh, species, you have really good background here. And I like playing where are they now? And we're going to talk about that when we get to some of the species, actually, because I have my favorites in here um, that we're going to talk about. Yeah. And that actually raises a good point, Michael. Uh, not, now that we are um, like we didn't know when this book was coming out, but now that Picard season two has come out, uh, we know now that some of the new space frames in Picard season two um, are, especially the Stargazer, they specifically mentioned on screen that some of the new technologies in the newer Starfleet ships are based on Borg technology that Voyager brought back from the Delta Quadrant. So Which was now, the stupidest thing they could have done. <laughs> yeah, so now a Game Master, like you could look at this book and just cherry pick some of the cool Borg stuff out of here, drop it right into your uh, post Picard era, like if you're doing an early 20th century game, uh, you could just drop that technology right into your Starfleet ship, and then all kinds of shenanigans can ensue. <laughs> right. Let me take this board to it's going to be harmless. Let's let's just attach yeah. it here. I mean, talk about bad ideas. Yeah. Oh, our uh, our bioneural gel packs are now infected by Borg nanites, and now the board are just going <laughs> to spread all throughout the ship. And oh, okay, now what? That wasn't the best idea we ever had, but now what? It's like lead <laughs> It's like lead lining your cuts. It's like yeah. really, this is going to get you later. This is really going to get you later. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so let's jump into chapter two and dig into the Delta Quadrant. Um, again, it, it starts highlighting many of the Imperiums and many of the um, governments, many of the planets that they ran into. Again, I'm going to say, you know, we're not going to go into deep detail on this, but when it comes to second contact missions, uh, where are they now? You can go ahead as a GM and read this section and say, okay, how did this interaction with Voyager affect them? And how's that going to affect my next contact with them? Um, so some brilliant background information in here about them. Um, some of my favorites that are in here are the Herogen. Um, I know some people don't like the Kazon. I actually like the Kazon <laughs> um, from a from a uh, a factional point of view they're kind of very interesting they have bad hair i can't get over that <laughs> first i have some hair product suggestions for them but um other than that those were those were my favorite and then the one that 
is my definitive favorite where I got satisfied in Picard, though heartbroken was the Sicarians, um, who had that, who had, who you could, uh, transport 40,000 light years by standing on that pad and they refused to give Voyager their technology. And as we know from Star Trek Picard, they got assimilated, which breaks my heart because that was a beautiful paradise planet. So that was, you know, uh, some of the species we see here. How about you? You have any favorites? Uh, I, you know, I honestly can't say I have a favorite in here, mostly because, you know, no, no offense. I was not as, as big of a Voyager fan as you are. So I, I watched the series. I enjoyed it. I, you know, I, I appreciate it, but none of the species grabbed me like quite like that, like DS9 or, uh, or, or next gen did. Um, I think what I appreciated about these write-ups, especially as the writers were delivering them was that um, it, it just gave me ideas on world building. Right. Like on how to create a, a very different, interesting alien species or, or their world or their setting or whatever, and how to spin that into something different, like the physiology uh, on the swarm and uh, just some of the other stuff that we dropped in here or that, you know, the, the writers dropped in into the into the show. Um, As we know now, it's canon is that Janeway and her crew made more first contact than any other captain. Yeah. yeah. Come on. That's a claim to fame. Come it's, on. I mean, it's cool. It's very cool. Come on. All Absolutely. right. <laughs> on, on page 20, you know, I'm loving on her. So on, on page 24, I have to say, too, another thing about that, I like about Voyager and Jim, push back on me if I'm wrong. I think they had the most interesting scientific anomaly concepts than any other show. They had and the words they would use, like trimectic fractures, chaotic space, under space, subspace sandbars. I think they really pushed the physics the fur, the fluidic space. Don't you think that they probably were the one that pushed those kind of concepts the most? Yeah, I think so. I think one of the things I, cause I, I remember, I mean, when it was, when it was first on air, um, I watched season one and season two really, really closely. Like I, I was really engrossed in the show because at that point DS9 was, uh, was nearing the end of its run. And I was still, I was still hardcore Star Trek watching Voyager. I was taping it every week, you know, on the VHS tapes, trying to cram as many episodes onto one tape as I could. And uh, one of the things I remember appreciating about the, especially the first season, the first two seasons, I guess, was how, how very heavily into the science they were. And I think that's partly because Janeway was a scientist herself, right? So they gave her a lot of dialogue, a lot of science dialogue, which is great. Um, but uh, so, you know, I don't know enough about science to know whether it was like real science or quasi science or, you know, the traditional Trek, you know, techno babble, uh, but it felt more sciencey than than especially ds9 because like at that point ds9 was deep into the dominion war and uh was going a very different direction which is fine uh but like it, for those who are looking for the like the weekly science hit that maybe the original series kind of brought in quite a bit um voyager was really delivering that and like uh like some of those early episodes like cathexis and um i don't even remember the titles but there's like a, there was a string of first season episodes that were like science 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 and i was really enjoying it because i was like well this is this is different and cool because it was it was it was hitting my sense of wonder button in a different way than DS9 was at the time. So yeah, I agree with you that uh, they 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 must have had some good science advisors on the show at the time. I don't remember. I'm sure. I think Andre Bormanis was one of the science advisors at the time. But uh, yeah, a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah, one of the biggest lessons I learned from them in writing Star Trek was their use of they're going into this deep science, but at the same time they would always and usually they use Tom Paris to do it. They would always 
create an illustration or a really, uh, they would simplify the science verbally. So you're like, oh yeah, that makes totally sense. Subspace sandbar, we're stuck on. Oh, okay, we get it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I really liked that the show did that because it taught me and GMs pay attention. Mm -hmm. Go ahead and get as crazy as you want with the science, but pair it with some sort of common uh, analogy or illustration so that yeah. all your players around the table can go, oh, okay, I get it. I get, it. okay. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a budding cactus. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in that case, we have to watch out for the subspace spikes. Okay. Okay. It gives yeah. them that kind of vision. So yeah. uh, Voyager did great for that. I think it's, it's, it's a very careful balancing act of uh, talking down to your audience without <laughs> sounding like you're talking down to your audience, right? It's like you, you, you present this highfalutin, sci-fi concept with the big words and then you have some some character go well what does that mean and then they dumb it down not, not to say dumb it down in a bad way but i just they, they simplify it so that everybody gets it so that's your, <laughs> your average you know your your uh, your your fifth grade average level intelligence person watching the show will will get it right that they may not understand all the techno babble but then you say it's a it's a space cactus with with spikes that we have to watch out for. It's like okay, I can get that. I, I can get behind that. I now I How understand. How do you get past the needles? We gotta somehow pluck the needles. With yeah, collector. Yeah, there you go. The needle. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> all right. So yeah. you, you, after you read this book too, you'll get, well. I, I'll say this book doesn't carry all the analogies. Watch the show to get all the analogies, and yeah. it'll, it'll be a lesson on how to, um, for lack of a better word, dumb things down. All right. Cool. Um, we're again you talked about how heavy it is um in the borg side in chapter two i mean there's page after page after page and one of the subheadings that caught my attention was resisting a force of nature what do you think players need to understand when they're facing off against the board i mean the 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 challenging thing about the borg right like and i know i know that there's a subset of players that, that that are like uh and i don't mean this in a negative sense like don't, you know, please don't send me hate mail but like there's there's a group of there's a there's a there's a mindset of certain players that are in that D mentality of where if it has stats we can kill it right it, 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 we can beat it if it has statistics we can beat it right of course the board have statistics in the game because like they you got to have statistics but like really you don't want to fight the board they will destroy you they will they they are not there to play nice they are there to assimilate you. They want to take everything that you are and everything that you have and absorb it into their consciousness. They don't like they're not going to do things halfway. They're either going to assimilate you or they're going to destroy you. And and uh, and that is the mindset. Like you can't negotiate with the Borg. You can't you can't like do things halfway. And it's it's like to say that they're a force of nature, like they really, truly are or should be in an ideal, you know, an ideal world there. They should be a force of nature where you see the Borg. You're like, OK, time to go. Yeah, you're not negotiating with a hurricane. Yeah. You're not negotiating with a hurricane. That's right. that's how they should be treated in the game. Mm-hmm. Is like that. You can try to survive it, but you're not stopping it. Right. Right. Yeah. And I thought again, we can go into how well Janeway just got into diplomacy, hardcore diplomacy, mm-hmm. in order to survive those situations. Um, it does give you tactics in here, though. So. I think if I, I, I honestly have never done a board game because I'm scared to. I'm scared to introduce the board into my game. But if you had to, there's actually almost what I would consider a report that you can give your players on how to deal with the board. Mm-hmm. And so this could be protocol based off of Janeway's experiences, TNG experiences with it. So it's kind of really fun. But if your players aren't scared, then you haven't done a good job playing the board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Representing them. 
All right, cool. Um, again, there's there's so much in here about the Borg, and it even talks about Borg location. So I'll pass that up because, like I said, this is the preeminent book about the Borg. I can't think of on the market if there is even a one that breaks it down to this detail. I've never seen it. I've never walked in a store, a Barnes uh, and Nobles. There's been Voyager books for sure. I have them, but I've never seen a Voyager book that broke down Borg culture like this. Yeah, and I, I'm looking at my my bookshelf. Um, the only thing I can think of is if if Hero Collector, I think did, did they do a dedicated volume on the Borg? Uh, I have, a, yeah, I have. Yeah, so I have me. the I have the Star Trek Voyager Illustrated Handbook. Yeah, and and though it breaks down different ships and decks and rooms and stuff like that, there's literally uh, there's not ten pages on the Borg. I mean, it's if I there's there's two pages on Borg enhancements. Yeah. That I'm looking, I'm looking at the book right here. Um, but when I read this book, when I got this this book, I was like, "This is the ultimate board culture book." So, even if you're not into playing RPG and yeah. but you want Star Trek history, Star Trek Voyager history, I would still read this book. Yeah, uh, and yeah. So yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right, Michael. I think this this might be the ultimate <laughs> the ultimate board book. So, but I I, I know you want to kind of skip over this uh, chapter two point four about board locations. I do want to note, though, that if I remember right, I think Aaron uh, Palea wrote a lot of this. And what's really nice in here is not necessarily just about Borg stuff, but it's about terrestrial worlds and gaseous planets and demon worlds and asteroid stuff. There's there's a lot of world building and science in here that you could easily pull out of here and, and de-Borgify it and drop it into your campaign. Like if you want to have uh, some interesting things going on with like asteroids and, and compiling asteroids and pulling asteroids together, because like other cultures probably do the same kind of stuff the Borg do on a different scale and for different yeah. reasons. Uh, but you can still easily pull all this stuff into a different campaign and, uh, and have interesting things to do with it. But he, he just, I, or if it wasn't him, the, the writer of this chapter did a great job adding a lot of interesting detail about, about how at least the Borg approach terraforming and, and, and gather res gathering resources for their own purposes that, that you could apply to a lot of different cultures and species and, and make your own and uh, and just have your players be terrified <laughs> of things yeah. that they just can't stop. Yeah, it, 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 Delta Quadrant really was a different realm of space. Again, I think you know how I feel about the Prime Directive. I'm not a big fan of it. And so it was fun to see a part of the galaxy that wasn't affected by it. Yeah. And then Janeway's still sticking to her guns on trying to keep to the Prime Directive. So this is a harsh area of space. And we've talked before about playing vigilante games or playing games with other polities. Yeah. This game, you could, especially if, if you're not into Voyager, you didn't watch it, but you're like, hey, I need a world build. You can totally grab this and smack it on top and yeah. make that your area of the galaxy, right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, similar to almost the Shackleton Expanse, same thing. Very, In a lot of respects, yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. And we know that uh, is the Shackleton expanse between the Beta Quadrant and the Delta Quadrant in a sense. Uh, well, it's 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 in the kind of northeast corner of the Beta Quadrant, right? So it's on the way to the certainly it's kind of a you know I, I'm sure there's some people in Starfleet um, uh, command who are like, well, you know, the uh, Shackleton expanse is kind of a buffer between us and the Borg. So uh, let's uh, you know let's let's be careful because like, like you know you got the Federation down here and then you got the Shackleton expanse and then you got the Delta Quadrant all up. The, I mean, up in here, right? So yeah, it, yeah. It, could be, it could be seen as kind of a buffer. I mean, of course, space is big, right? You could go over or around yeah. it or whatever. Um, but yeah, in fact, I think we even dropped in some Easter eggs in the Shackleton book that uh, at certain time frames, you know, 
that you know the federation didn't know maybe the board were coming out of the shackleton expanse maybe there's a maybe there's a transwarp corridor somewhere within the expanse you know that the vinshari are aware of or the chimera are aware of or something and i gotta ask who would win a battle between the tilakal and the assessors and the board i mean you got planet movers versus simulators and and just imagine the fun when the board or if the board were to assimilate the tilakal and or an assessor Mm. (laughs) the tilakal have non-corporal forms can the borg assimilate non-corporal forms well, uh, Assessor Tredic wasn't non-corporeal. He was he was fully corporeal. Yeah, but he was telekinetic. You can't hit him. You can't hit him with a little thingy thing. You can you? I mean, telekinetic shield. I don't know. <laughs> there's some there's some story potential there. <laughs> oh my goodness! I I hope someone's listening to this who hasn't yet played the Shackleton campaign, and you grab the Delta Quadrant and the Shackleton. You put them together, and you make some amazing stories because yeah, that yeah. would be now all of a sudden. Even though I don't like them, this is my gaming group. Even though we made the Tilakal enemies you may have to brook broker a truce if truce if the borg are trying to make a major invasion using the shackleton expanse as a pass-through mm-hmm. Ooh, okay yeah, yeah. A, lot, a lot of a lot of questions like and that's the fun thing like i mean honestly we talked about this before but like we're six years into this game line now mm-hmm. and now and now we're at the point where we can like mix and match and take different books and combine them together in different ways that we couldn't have even imagined three years ago when we were doing this book so now you take the Delta Quadrant book and you add it to the Shackleton book. So what happens if the Borg were to try to uh, assimilate the Kalmiran or the Venshari or or, or uh, the technology, the world moving technology? Oh, or or you know, heaven heavens forbid, what if the Borg were try were to try to assimilate the Kofari? Oh, right? Lord. Kofari. Now you know, granted they are they are low tech, but their brains are so smart. Like yeah. you take all that incredible intelligence and and their ability to project amazing technology and then they just choose not to build it but then the borg assimilate them and they're like oh look at all these new ideas and then of course the borg just get even more dangerous that's a scary idea yeah that's, that's scarier than borgs assimilating tribbles yeah it's messed up okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fearsome and for all of you who don't know what we're talking about we say Quipari and vinshari and calmirans that's the shackleton expanse campaign guide um, which is a world into itself. So that's what which, we're which introduces a whole bunch of new species, which segues us right into the next chapter of this book, which presents a whole bunch of Delta Quadrant species, which are very different, very interesting because they're all from the Delta Quadrant. So you, you normally would not see them in a mm-hmm. traditional Alpha Beta Quadrant Starfleet kind of game. But I put them in here because I thought, oh, these would be really interesting, cool and uh, you know, player characters or non-player characters to play, especially if you're going for that kind of Neelix, Kess, Quark, Odo, Kira perspective where you've got a Starfleet crew, but then you've got some some unique characters too that kind of like, you know, can can kind of bat back and forth. Or if you're doing an independent game of a whole bunch of characters from the Delta Quadrant, all kinds of different species all mixed together, uh, kind of like even like almost like a prodigy, right? Where you've got, you know, completely different species all just kind of mixed together into the same ship. This is an opportunity to, to, to showcase some of those species that were really kind of cool in Voyager that may not have gotten a lot of love, but now you could go make yourself a, an Ankari player character or a G or a Lokirum, like all those all those fun species that so we see on the show. We talked last week, remember? Uh, no, excuse me. Yeah, last week we talked about the Picard pack and we talked about like, how can you play the Picard pack? It's in the future if you're like yeah. in 2378. And then we said, well, wait a second. Hugh was a liberated Borg, which you cover in this chapter on page yeah. 64. 
And what if as a liberated Borg, he on his way back to the Alpha Quadrant was liberating a G or an Ankari? And mm -hmm. so you could actually bring his story into an earlier setting game with these characters. Yep. Oh, see, so you can mix the Picard pack with this too that just came out. Yeah. Kind of cool. And I yep. love on yep. page sixty-five you list Borg implants. So mm -hmm. Borg, there's a there's a slew of Borg implants that you could use as talents um, and swap out talents for some of these, um, and it gives you what the bonuses are. So this came out. Um, this is the official to me the official guide on XBs. I know uh, we XB stuff later, but this yeah, is good point. <laughs> this, is, this is the ultimate before even XB showed up in yeah. Picard. You yeah. had already done XBs. Yeah, but before we even knew Picard was coming out, I don't. I don't think we knew Picard. Well, I, I think we knew Picard was coming. But we had no idea what was going to happen. Like we had no idea Seven was going to be in in it. I don't think. And you did, and yet there's two pages here on Bor Liberated Borg. Yeah, that's amazing. It just happy accident. <laughs> I can't, I will, is, I will take zero credit because there's no credit due there. It was just a happy accident. That is so cool because what's funny, you know, on continuing missions, we had plenty of people asking the minute Picard came out about XP stuff and people started throwing into the blog. And I didn't, yeah. I had completely forgot this was there. I would have, I'm glad I forgot because otherwise I would not have put content in continuing mission about it because I'm like, why do it again? Yeah. We, we try to do fan made content. If I remember, I think Hugh is in here. I think, I think we got Hugh in here. As oh, a, as an NPC right. later 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 in the, one of the later chapters, I think we got Hugh in here. I have to go back. I mean, we'll get there, I'm sure. But uh, um, okay, anyway. so there's some gold in here. I mean, I'm looking through here and getting nostalgic about the Lacorum and the Mari and all the mm -hmm. other great characters. Yeah, the Monians, which were underwater, you know, and and Tom Paris rebelled against Janeway to to help them them out. The Acampa, and again, the ones that break my heart, the Sicarians. Yeah are all yeah. in here so great species great art too yeah uh, as far as art goes i want to <laughs> i want to highlight because i can't help it i want to mm -hmm. highlight page uh page 75 there's a, a very very nice piece of art here that uh was uh um one of those one of those many middle of the night bits of inspiration as i was working on the art briefs um, you know, cause I, like I said before on other chat or in other episodes, um, I, I tend to, I mean, I work my day job and then I do a lot of Star Trek adventures at, at night after my uh, son's gone to sleep. And, uh, this was just one of those late night inspirations. I was watching, uh, I had original series on in the background and I was writing art briefs for this book and I was like, Oh, I need, uh, I need some more art briefs. What do I, you know, I think, um, I don't remember the title of the episode. It was the episode where, uh, Spock is holding, a uh, a, a dog and the dog's very clearly in a costume and it looks like a unicorn dog and it's very cute and fluffy and cozy and I was like oh man what would that thing look like if it was assimilated and I was like oh hell why not so I went ahead and wrote the art brief we did a draft of the art I sent it over to Paramount and just to, just to see just to see if they would go for it and uh, and I got some very favorable comments from our reviewer at Paramount right. And I was like, okay, it's in the book. <laughs> Mission accomplished. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. So I love this, is, that. This, I, yeah. this is me having a little bit of fun. My question, my, you know, they always say that you have something unique that you will add to us. So it must have been the sense of smell. That's the only thing I could guess why they would want to assimilate the dog. <laughs> I don't know. Why, 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 do the Borg, why would the Borg do anything, right? Who knows? Right. There, there must have been something about those unicorn dogs that, that made them decide, oh, we should assimilate that thing. And, yeah. uh, and my gosh, they did. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I'm going I'm going to go ahead and encourage people um because there's so many non non alpha beta gamma quadrant species in here if you're looking for additional traits and getting creative and building characters and you're like well I want something no nobody else has this is a wealth of information I guarantee you if you steal some of these traits and rename them no one will know where you got them from so it's a whole uh hodgepodge of great traits that you could uh, traits and um talents you could pull in um, from this book. All right. Starships. Starships. Yeah, Starship. This was this is me telling uh, Aaron, go crazy and uh, have fun building up some absolutely horrifying Borg ships. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think he, I think he delivered because like when, when I saw the draft and I saw some of these uh, double digit numbers in uh, scale and power and stuff, I was like, yeah, I don't think I don't think I'll ever use these in my game because it would just terrify my players too much. And I, I, I wouldn't know what to do with them, but they look really cool on the, on the page. So I mean, the tactical cube alone, let's, let, um, let's go over this real quick, just so people can yeah. get so scared who play this game. The tactical cube has structure 18 and match that with the security three twenty one. That means they can't fail on a roll like that. And they have resistance 15 it's scale 13 and shields 26. That translates in technical terms to you're screwed. Do <laughs> not mess with the Borg. Pretty much. So you know, this is just a reminder: don't screw with the Borg. They're not. They're not here to. You, you don't whittle them down. You don't wear them down. You don't go to the next round of combat. You just you run, run, run far, it. far away. I just can't take it. It's just so scary. All right, good. And then fortunately, you know, they have engines nine and con three, which is which is a 12 point roll. So you probably do have a good chance of outrunning them mm. as long as your ships, as long as you don't roll any complications and your <laughs> engines don't fail. So and that's what threats for. <laughs> oh, so frightening. OK, we got to move on from the, the Borg ships. The, the sure thing. Ships. Yeah. And then we had, well, so, uh, you know, warships and then we added in uh, Delta Quadrant ships. we got the Delta Flyer in there, Slaxian, Kazon. Uh, just everything you'd expect. Herogen, or Herogen, however you pronounce it. Krenum, the warship, the timeship. Uh, on there. Stuff. Oh, stop there. Yep. Yeah, because the Krenum warship, he did something very interesting in here. I don't know um, if you caught it before, but he puts in the timeline possibilities as if time is changing as you're reading it. Mm-hmm. Because if you remember the Krenum from the show, they kept using this weapon and rewriting time. So I think that detail was just like so weirdly brilliant and only from the mind of Aaron Paulier, right? So mm-hmm. that was that was really cool at that point. Very nice. You even put someone you even did an art brief with the temporal remnant on page 91, which was cool with the hair, the lock of his wife. Mm-hmm. Where which was really cool. So again, small details. There's a lot of details like this wrapped in here. Um you even went into the species 8472 bio ships. Yeah. Yeah, well, got it, got it. We had to touch up, touch on as much as we could uh, in the in the space we had available. So uh, threw them, threw them all in there. Very good. All right. So now we end up in what always is my favorite chapter of all these quadrant books. I've mentioned in the other ones are the encounters um, and adversaries. Again, if you need ideas, I you know one of my favorite ideas in this one is the demon devils. And if anybody remembers, um, and there's even a picture of it in the um, the art brief here is there was a planet where they were touched by this metallic mercurial type liquid and it duplicated the entire crew and ship of Voyager. It was one of the most tragic episodes ever. 
Um, it was a two-parter spread over two seasons. Um, so again, some really good prompts here that we could use, right? Yeah, absolutely. Bunch of bunch of NPCs as always. Like we try to include a bunch of different NPCs in here, different levels, like uh, not minor, notable, etc. Uh, to throw them in here. Uh, this first chunk of it, it's just a. Uh, I think Old Mage Kala is in here. For those of you who are fans of the uh, of the Kazon, got a few Kazon in there. Pindari. Uh, they just got so screwed by Seska. That's what I like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the uh, the phage folks, uh, Vidian's uh, phages. Those are those are fun. Uh, mm -hmm. Some Voth, etc. And then uh, we get into exploring Borg space. We bring bring in a bunch of Borg. Uh, running a Borg campaign. Uh, what to do if you want to assimilate your supporting cast. Uh, how to fight the Borg. Uh, bring in some different types of liberated Borg. Yeah, we do have Hugh in here. Yeah, page 120, uh, 125, 126 looks like. Yeah, here. Um, and this was before we even knew he was going to be in Picard. So it's just uh, unexpected, unexpectedly prophetic of us to <laughs> drop that. Well, in now there. I got to look what he's on page 126 and yeah. is um, interesting. Okay. So his his focus is because we were just talking about this with Aaron doing the Picard book last week. His focus and uh, sorry, uh, Patrick Goodman. Borg cybernetics and leadership, which later turns into uh, hope, which we talked about. Mm -hmm. Last week, so that was pretty good. Hmm. Yep, very cool. Yep. I'm always looking at those focuses. You know me. Yeah. All right, what a, what a book! And of course, it closes with with uh, the Borg Queen and 132 about defeating the collective. Some of the tactics that worked. Um, mm -hmm. So you could definitely have your players read up on that if they happen to come against the Borg. Yep. Oh, and uh, not that this is critical, but I think this is the longest of the of the quadrant books. We just ended up with uh, a few extra pages and uh, we were OK going a little bit over. So uh, this ended up being, I think, 136, 138 pages, I think, compared to the 120s and 128s of the other ones. But I mean, not that that's critical, but uh, just a little uh, little sidebar Easter egg there for you. This is uh, there's a lot of great content here. And uh, and I kept as much of it in as I could. Uh, just yeah. given the the timing that we had, so uh, yeah, a lot of great stuff here. Well, you know me, I can never get enough of the Delta Quadrant, so you could add <laughs> two more pages, and I'd be yeah. in it. So, so good job, we finished the Alpha, the Beta, the Gamma, the Delta Quadrant wow. books. Just to remind everyone, they came out in 2018, 2019, early 2019, I think. And uh, um, yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, they're still as relevant as ever. Again, they are to me. Um, I have a lot of the Star Trek guides, a lot of the support books, and these are the ultimate references for all of these um, regions of space. And I don't care what anyone says. I swear to you, the writers are using them. The writers have them tucked away in their drawer and they pull them out. The writers of all the new shows because <laughs> <laughs> it's the quickest it's the quickest reference guide you could have, you know, points <clears throat> in the right direction. Yeah. So, and so they're, they're still in print and they're, they're available in PDF. So if you even if you don't want the print copy, go grab the PDF and use it. Use the search engine. Use it as a function, you know, as a re resource. So, uh, yeah, good stuff. Cool. All right. Shouts out. So we know we love our brick and mortars who are carrying these books, of course. So important to support them. So we're going to shout out uh, today. Uh, Jay Benet says games you in Gilbert, Arizona. So that's where we're going to go ahead and give our love to today. Who are you shouting out, Jim? Uh, so I, I made an erroneous uh, comment last week about uh, about um, Starfleet or not Starfleet uh, Star Trek uh, um, alumni who passed away. And I just want to shout out to uh, DC Fontana and Rene Aubergeonois, both who passed away during while we were developing this book. So we want to make sure that we got their uh, uh, their in memoriams into the book. So uh, 
Thank you for all their service, for everything they've done, not just for Star Trek, but just across their careers, their illustrious careers. We want to make sure we uh, remember them appropriately. So that's my shout outs for, for tonight. That works. All right. So much fun and so much more to come. This ends our 35th episode. Wow. And, uh, looking forward to so much more. And there's just so many goodies coming out from Star Trek Adventures. Oh, Stay yes. Stay tuned to hear about this. All right. Until yeah. next time, IDIC. Live long and prosper. Be safe. Be well. See you next time. <laughs>